Amen. You brought a Bible, say yes. Let me invite you to open it with me to Luke's Gospel, chapter 11. If you're visiting here at Concord, every Sunday we look into our Bibles to see what God would have to say to our hearts, how to encourage us and teach us how to live in such a way that honors Him and brings glory to His Son, Jesus Christ. So Luke's Gospel, chapter 11, will be our text this morning as we look at verses 5 through 13. If you visited last Sunday, you'll remember we started a message series entitled, uh, Get Your Groove On, and uh, this Sunday morning we'll kind of get get your groove on part two y'all with me say yes that was like five of y'all y'all wake up all right Luke chapter 11 beginning in verse 5 so stand with me as we look at God's Word together uh, Jesus is speaking here in verse 5 then he said to them uh, suppose one of you has a friend and goes to him at midnight and says to him friend let me three loaves for a friend of mine has come to me from a journey and I have nothing to set before him and from inside he answers and says don't bother me the door's already been shut my children and I are in the bed I cannot get up and give you anything I tell you even though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend yet because of his persistence he will get up and give him as much as he needs so I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be open. Now suppose one of you fathers is asked by his son for a fish. He will not give him a snake instead of a fish, will he? Or if he is asked for an egg, he won't give him a scorpion, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Let's bow together. Father, in Jesus' name, we call out to you and ask you to speak to our hearts this morning. God, I pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would give unction from heaven, that your word will be spoken in such a manner that it would glorify you in every single heart in this room. And God, I pray that you would bring to mind only that which you desire to be spoken. And I pray that the enemy would be bound up and shut up and set out and no longer able to get a foothold in this particular time of worship. So God, we pray that you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, would put the enemy to flight. And you would, by your word, speak to hearts and cleanse your church and make us a praying people. And I pray in that all in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. And you can be seated. Get your groove on part two. Well, you know, last week we looked at what it meant to have your groove on. It was to be at church that was seeking God in prayer. But this evening, or this morning rather, I want to kind of elevate that just a little bit more to talk about what a church in the groove looks like. A church that is in the groove pleads for the hand of God to bring revival in our hearts and awakening in our communities. How many of you would agree, and just be honest before God this morning, that indeed you need a revival in your heart? You just slip it up, be like, I want to be refreshed, restored, many people, God bless you. How many of you would say, you know what, I would love to see a spiritual awakening happen in our community. Slip your hand up again. God bless you. Good deal. Well, recently I did a study called Fresh Encounter by Henry Blackaby. And in that study, he gave a great definition of the word revival and then the word awakening. So let me kind of give that to you by way of introduction before we dive into some truths about this particular text of Scripture. Revival, what is it? Henry Blackaby says, revival is a divinely initiated work in which God's people pray, repent of their sin, and return to a holy, spirit-filled, obedient love relationship with God. 
Revival is a divine act of the Holy Spirit within the souls of genuine converts stirring us up and causing us once again to be passionate about the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. That is revival. The Holy Spirit brings revival. That's not something you put on a calendar at a church. The Spirit of God brings revival upon his people. Now, spiritual awakening, what is that? Spiritual awakening occurs when a large number of people or a high percentage of a population are born again in a relatively short period of time. Question, how many of you believe that God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, can cause a bunch of people to be born again in a short amount of time? God can do this, but we don't see it very often. Why is that? We're going to find the answer in just a moment. In the context of Fresh Encounter, Henry Blackaby cites two great awakenings. He says, in Wales, 100,000 people were converted in six months beginning in 1904. 100,000 people came to faith in Jesus Christ. During 1857 and 1858, a revival broke out in New York. And during that time frame of revival, one million people actually joined churches in America out of a population of only 30 million. So a great move of God has happened right here in the context of America before. You know, in my personal study of revivals and awakenings over the years, I found that typically an awakening does not occur on a grand scale until a local body of believers experiences personal revival. So if we desire to see a great awakening in our communities, that means we must experience as a church a revival in our hearts. You know, 2 Chronicles 7 and 14 says it this way. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sin, and will heal their land. That is a promise of the word of God. And I don't know about you, but my heart longs for our fellowship to experience a revival in which we pray, in which we see a large-scale repentance of sin, and a return to a holy and spirit-filled, obedient, loving relationship to God the Father. Now, my heart also longs in these last days to witness hundreds and thousands of people coming to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, missing hell and making heaven. Now, I would love to see them all get saved here, but I'm a fan of people just getting saved anywhere where the gospel's being preached. So that is how I'm praying that God, by his grace, would cause an awakening for many people to come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ before it's too late. A lot of people going to hell without the Lord Jesus. We need to be praying for those people. Now, we find as we study awakenings throughout Scripture as well as throughout history that this does not occur apart from prayer, apart from a people getting their groove on, so to speak. We looked at Hannah last week as she prayed, and we learned that through her life, we ought to be like her. We should be desperate for God to work in our hearts. We should long for him to hear our prayers. We should be confident that he will answer them, and then we should be quick to give dedication and glory back to God when he answers the prayer. Now, this morning, we learned through Scripture that God wants us to be a church that actually longs for him to work. Can I say that again and everybody listen? God wants Concord to be a church that actually longs for the Lord to work. 
That is what God desires. God wants to stretch us. God wants to test our faith in the context of whether or not we really desire to sing him bring revival in our hearts and awakening in our communities. So what do we learn about God concerning prayer? If we're really going to storm the gates of heaven, so to speak, and ask God to bring revival in our own personal lives and awakening in our communities, what do we need to know about God as we enter into his presence? A couple of truths I want to give you out of this text. Are y'all ready to say yes? Truth number one, this is awesome. God's heart is moved by audacious praying. God's heart is moved by audacious praying. Look again, if you will, in, in your Bible, Luke 11, 5 through 8. Jesus said to them, suppose one of you has a friend. He goes to him at midnight and says to him, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has come to me from a journey. And I have nothing to set before him. And from inside, he answers and says, don't bother me. The door's already been shut. My children and I are in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you. Even though he will not get up and give him anything because he is a friend, yet because of his persistence, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. Now, in this text of Scripture, Jesus is giving you and I a parable to describe God's heart towards us whenever we pray. But let's break that parable down so we can get a a clearer picture, really, of what Jesus is teaching us here. First of all, we can kind of highlight the relationship. Suppose one of you has a friend. Uh, that's what he's speaking of. It's a parable to be told in such a way that you and I would put ourselves in the shoes or the sandals, so to speak, of the individual friend who is in need. So for this morning, I want you to picture yourself as that person who is in great need. So you've got a friend. Then you notice the time here. The Bible says he goes to his friend at midnight. Have you ever had somebody knock on your door at midnight? Anybody ever had that happen before? Slip your hand up. God bless you. We had no one in the first service. Or they were just sleeping while I was preaching. One of the two. But anyway, so nobody raised their hand. No, I've, nobody's ever knocked on my door at midnight. But I have had people call real late at night. How did you respond whenever that happened? I don't know if you responded like me, but I'm like, who in the world's calling this time of night? Do y'all act like that too? God bless you. Some of you spiritual people, y'all don't. God bless you as well for being here. What is the deal? It's midnight. Now, this man at midnight heard a knock on his door. There was a guest coming over. He had no bread. So immediately, even in the darkest of night, he leaves his home to go to his neighbor's house so that he can find some bread. Now, as you study Greco culture, you will actually find that individuals would not leave their house at night because that is when all the bandits and the robbers and the thieves were out. So for fear of getting mugged, you would stay inside your house when the lights went out on the planet. Y'all with me say yes? And so you'd stay in your house, which I also do in Lula, Georgia. Can I get a witness on that? <laughs> I was reading this last night, studying over it again before I get up and preach this morning. Kid you not, I heard over 10 gunshots. <laughs> they weren't firecrackers, brother. All right. I prayed much more as a result. I don't know what they're killing. They're killing something, though, boy. They shot that joker 10 times. He ain't moving, all right? Some deer out there. I mean, he is flat messed up right now. <laughs> See the dilemma? Look at your text again. He says to him, friend, let me in three loaves, for a friend of mine has come to me from a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. That's the dilemma. Now, this is not a big deal to us. Somebody knocks on my door at midnight, and I don't have anything to eat. You shouldn't have came at midnight, man. It, you know what I'm saying? But in this culture, it was absolutely 
against their moral code to not show hospitality when someone came to their house. As a matter of fact, the IVP background says it like this. Hospitality was a crucial obligation. The host must feed the traveler who has graced his or her home by coming to spend the night. Although many homes would have used their day's bread by nightfall, in a small village, people would know who still had bread left over. In modern villages of that region, bread might last for several days. But one must serve a guest a fresh, unbroken loaf as an act of hospitality. And to not do so was actually an front to that person who had come over to the house. Now, he knocks on the door. Seems like his friend will be like, yeah, man, let me help you out. But we don't see that. We see a very selfish response. Did y'all notice what he said? Inside, he answers. He doesn't even get up out of the bed. He just hollers, doesn't he? Don't bother me. <laughs> Which I like that verse. Y'all all right? I, that should be a life verse. Put that on the front of your house. Welcome to Lula. Don't bother me. The door's already, that was a joke, by the way. If you want to knock on the door, come on over, Krista, get it, all right? Do not bother me. It's that text, the door's already been shut. My children and I are in the bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. And the word bother, it means to weary or beat down. So literally, I mean, he's like, don't weary me with your problems. Uh, leave me alone. You should have made your own bread. Your emergency is not my emergency. Now, for the friend to get up and unlock the door and get some bread for his neighbor at that particular time would mean he would have woke everybody up in his house. Most people in those days all slept in the same room, so he would have had to get up and step over the children. And then as he got the bread and unbolted the door, without a doubt, everybody in the house would have been awake. And so he just basically said, that would be a huge inconvenience, so don't bother me. Now, you would think, after he knocked on the door and heard from inside, don't bother me, that he would have rolled out and said, I'll go to somebody else's house. But that's not the case. Notice the audacity of the neighbor. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, notice that, his persistence, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. Now, the friend will get up and open the door and give his friend some bread, not because they're buddies, but because his friend is relentless in his request. He continues to knock on the door. He continues to ask for help. The word here for persistence is a word which means shameless or brashness or the gall of this man. You ever heard that phrase before? Notice the gall. What, can you believe the gall of that man to knock on the door over and over after I said, don't bother me anymore? It speaks of his audacity to come and to bang on the door. So finally the man opened the door and gave the bread to him, not because they were friends, but because he was irritated. Now you can imagine that, right? It's like finally he just says, okay, I'll give him some bread. He'd open it up. I'd give him some bread, all right. Y'all with me? Here's your bread. I'm just kidding. I don't know why I'm acting like that this morning. <laughs> so what's the point here? Well, Jesus really is making an awesome observation here. He's using a parable, and whenever we study the parables, there are some parables that are called uh, how much more parables, and that's what kind of parable this is. So consider for just a moment. Uh, the impatient, impatient, the unrighteous, selfish, bothered friend in this text does not represent God the Father. Instead, this impatient, selfish, bothered friend enhances our understanding of God's heart as it pertains to our prayers. Now, think about it. If the impatient, unrighteous, selfish, and bothered friend was moved by the audacity of his neighbor, how much more will God be moved who is perfectly patient, perfectly righteous, perfectly unselfish, and never bothered by his children when they come praying with audacity? 
That's the picture. If this man, being evil, will listen to this other neighbor's need, how much more, God who is holy, will he listen to your need and mine? I like what uh, Ravi Zacharias states concerning the parable. He says, uh, the man's neighbor was asleep. God doesn't sleep. The neighbor had locked his door against any intrusion. Uh, God is always available to us. Uh, the neighbor didn't know his friend's need. God knows every heart and every need. Look at the preacher just a minute. Every single need that you have this morning, God knows about it. Right. Everyone, he said, it's not like he's shocked when you bring up a need. He knows it before you say it. Uh, he knows the numbers of hairs on our heads or off of our head. <laughs> he knows the days each of us have been given for life on this earth. He sees every sparrow that falls. He knows our need before we even ask him to meet it. So how bold, being this the case, how bold are we in coming before God and begging him for revival in our hearts and awakening in our communities. If we read the text and believe what the Bible says, then we ought to be rushing heaven's gate, knocking on the door through prayer, saying, God, give me a revival. Lord, wake up this community to the glorious gospel. And we would be audacious in that. And I love the fact in this text that he goes... At midnight, can I, I say to you from an eschatological end times point of view, it is midnight. How much more audacious and persistent and how much more gall should the New Testament church have now to go before God and ask him to work? We should be pleading for the fellowship that revival would break in, in our hearts. Awakening in our communities. Our church doesn't pray this way. Y'all all right? I don't know many churches that do. I couldn't put my finger on one probably. But I do know the Bible says God's heart is moved by audacious praying. So the question would be, why would we not be a church like that? I think I said it last week, but it bears repeating. The goal is not to come in here and twiddle our thumbs. The goal is to come in here and call out on God to move. Trust him to do so. Can I give you all point number two? Say yes. Here's point number two. God's work among us is directly proportionate to our prayerful tenacity. Let me say that again. God's work among us is directly proportionate to our tenacity. Notice verse 9 and 10. Jesus, after giving this parable, says, so here's what I say to you. Y'all right, get it? This is awesome. You get it? He gives the parable about this friend and his persistence. And it's how much more God is holy. And if this guy will answer uh, his friend's need, how much more God who loves you unconditionally is overwhelmingly patient. Will he not meet your need? Based upon that, so then, here's what you should do. Ask, and it'll be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. For everyone who seeks finds, and to him who asks it will be given, and to him who knocks it will be opened unto you. You know, these terms are given to us, by the way, uh, in the present tense, which denotes a continual action. So, 
Check it out. Jesus is saying, you and I should make it our continual lifestyle to keep on asking, keep on seeking, and keep on knocking. So we continue to do so. He begins with asking. It's a word which speaks of a desire for something. It's a beggarly attitude, craving for a particular thing. Picture for a moment the man with leprosy as he falls down at the feet of Jesus and he grabs hold of him and he's begging for God to heal his body. That is the picture that you and I should have when we go to God in prayer. We should fall down and we should, with a beggarly attitude, ask God to move in our hearts. And then the word seeking. See, Christ is teaching us here that we go further than just asking. We begin to seek, and this means to seek in order to find something out through meditation. This is a mode of action whereby we actually are driven to learn about a particular truth. In this case, it is God's will. So as I am asking over and over, and I am pleading and begging the Lord, I go a deeper level of prayer now, and I begin to seek out the truth. I'm seeking what has God said about this? What does God desire? What is his heart? What glorifies him? How does he desire to carry out his plan and purpose on the earth? Now, as I ask and I seek, my prayers often begin to change to more reflect the heart and character of Christ. So I'm asking, I'm seeking. Y'all still with me say yes? And then I'm knocking. Here's what happens. I'm asking, I'm seeking, and as I seek the Lord's will in a particular matter, all of a sudden God, by his grace, will reveal a door. There's his will. Let me knock on the door. And he opens it. And he gives the answer to the prayer. And as I looked at this in study, I am convinced that each word implies a deeper level of intimacy in prayer. Asking, seeking, knocking. Now, I want you to check this out. Are y'all still with me? Say yes. This is crazy, but Jesus gives us conditional statements here. Conditional. Here's the condition. Condition number one, if we ask, here's the result. It'll be given. Condition number two, if we seek, here's the result. You will find. Condition number three, if we knock, here's the result. The door will be open. Chuck Swindoll notes concerning these verses, the results are conditioned on the command and they are guaranteed to work. This is why I give you the statement that God's work among us is directly proportionate to our prayerful tenacity. God, who is sovereign and holds the whole world in his hands, has told you and I as a church that if you want me to work, just ask me. I'm going to be doing and carrying out my purpose and plan here on the earth, but if you want to be a part of it, hey, just seek me. Now, this goes a step further on the crazy chain. Are y'all still with me? But as I'm studying this, I began to realize more or less an equation that falls out of the scripture here. Now, I'm not a mathematician by any stretch, but I want to give you the equation. I went to my whiteboard, I wrote it down, and here's the equation. Little prayer among God's people equals little work of God among his people. Next equation gets a little bit better. Much prayer by God's people equals much work of God in our midst. So really, it boils down to us sitting back in our chairs and asking the question, how much do we really want to see God work? And if we really desire to see the Lord work, then we will really persistently over and over continue to ask, to seek, and to knock. 
And the Bible says he will answer. It's almost like, are we, what is the goal here? Are we trying to bug the Lord? Now, good news is we don't have the capacity to bug omnipotence. However, we are challenged to go before God and just keep on pleading. I don't know about you, but uh, when we ride around in our minivan and look crazy cool, by the way. It's like I turned my man card in when we got that thing. Here you go. But then I got in, and I'm like, this thing is bad. <laughs> but we cruise around. We got four kids in the back. They're persistent, man, when they want something. Daddy, I'm thirsty. I'm thirsty. I'm thirsty. Can I get something to drink? I want something to drink. Can you give me something to drink? Hush, boy. Yes, I'll get you something to drink. Start throwing stuff at them. Y'all listen to what I'm saying? If I'm that way, and you're that way, and we're imperfect, and yet we seek to meet the need of our own kids, how much more will God seek to meet the needs of this church if we persistently pursue Him in prayer? You know, as I was uh, putting this message together, I was like, good night, man. Uh, if we keep on asking, it'll be given. If we keep on seeking, we will find. If we keep on knocking, the door will be open. If a need of ours is for God to bring revival in our hearts and awakening in our communities, and we audaciously and with tenacity bring this before God, He will answer our prayer. Well, it's like, well, why don't we just do that then? Y'all hear what I'm saying? That's why most churches are dead. Because we read the Bible. And we see it and we say, man, that's pretty slick. But we do nothing about it. But when we pursue the Lord, he, man, he answers. God's work among us is directly proportionate to our prayerful tenacity. Now, last question, and i got to hustle here, but how do we know God is really working among us? And then we're going to pray, by the way, just letting you know. We'll have a time of prayer. How do we know if he's working? So it's like, all right, we're going to ask, we're going to seek, we're going to knock. How do we know if God's really shown up and he's done something? How are we going to figure that out? Verse 11 through 13, suppose one of your fathers is asked by his son for a fish. Uh, he won't give him a snake instead of a fish, will he? Or if he's asked uh, for an egg, he, he will not give him a scorpion, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father, notice what the Bible says, give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Now, I'm reading this, and I'm thinking to myself, this is pretty cool, all right? He gives the Holy Spirit. However, right now, I've already got the Holy Spirit as a believer. So as soon as I come to faith in Jesus Christ, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit takes up residence in my life. The Bible teaches in Corinthians, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. So whenever I'm praying, he's going to give me the Holy Spirit? That doesn't make any sense. I've already got the Spirit of God. So what's going on here? Well, one case, which is pretty awesome, is that the guys he's talking to, these disciples, they did not have the Holy Spirit yet. Jesus did not send the Holy Spirit to reside within believers until after his death, burial, and resurrection and his ascension. So whenever he left, and remember he told him, he's like, it's going to be better when I go because then I can send a comforter, the Spirit who has been with you, but he will then be in you. So that was the promise. But this text still applies to us. Here's what's crazy. God 
And are y'all listening? Say yes. God answers prayer always by the work of the Holy Spirit. I can't figure out how that does not work. So think about the Holy Spirit real quick. What role does the Spirit of God play in our lives? Well, the Spirit of God transforms our character. The book of Galatians uh, describes for us the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, and self-control. So as an example, if you got a problem with somebody and you begin to pray for them and you ask God to restore that relationship, God will answer, how? Holy Spirit. Well, what do you mean? Well, the Holy Spirit will bear the fruit of love towards that person in your life. So the Spirit of God works. May bear uh, patience in your life. May bear meekness or self-control, whatever the case may be, but the Spirit of God. But also we know the Spirit of God directs us. Romans 8 and 14, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. So if you're praying and asking God for direction, well, how does God answer the, the prayer? I mean, we're saying, Lord, what should I do? Should I do A or should I do B? Which direction should I go? How's the answer? Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit works as an umpire, umpire in our hearts, giving us peace to make the right decision and stirring our spirits or pricking our conscience when we are making the wrong decision. How's the answer, Holy Spirit? The Bible teaches the Spirit of God comforts us in our times of affliction. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. The God of all comfort will comfort you in your afflictions by how? The Holy Spirit. So if you are troubled, if you know somebody who is being afflicted or they're down and you pray for them, how does God answer that prayer? Holy Spirit. Spirit of God comes alongside of those individuals and strengthens them. Spirit of God also empowers us to accomplish God's plan. So if you are in the context of needing to share the gospel with somebody and you're nervous about it, but you pray and you say, God, I need to share the gospel with this person. Give me the words to say. How does he speak to you? How does he answer? Holy Spirit. Spirit of God brings to mind that which you are to say. Are y'all listening? Say yes. It's amazing, the work of the Holy Spirit. And I confess to our uh, first service how I have prayed over uh, many years now and never really understood what I was praying. But I would pray, and I've done it several times uh, even before preaching on this text, coming to church. So I'll, maybe I'm driving to church, all right, and here's the picture. So I'm cruising to church, and I'm praying for our times of worship. I'm asking God to move on our hearts, to speak to our hearts, to save people from sin and hell, and draw people to salvation, and do a work in the lives of many families, and all of these burdens the Lord has on my heart. So I'm lifting them up to the Lord, and I'm saying, Lord, I'm going to stand up and preach. Nothing I say is going to make a difference. So, God, I am asking that you would, as your word says, just give the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Y'all out there say yes? It doesn't even make sense to me, hardly. Because it's like, you know, and I, and I quote the scripture to the Lord. And I say, you know, Lord, you, you've said it before. If, you know, being evil, you know how to get good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So I'm like, so Lord, I'm asking you, Holy Spirit, come on. And here's what I have uh, found uh, over praying that prayer and now sensing uh, somewhat of a better understanding of it. And be honest with you, I still ain't got it all figured out. Are y'all okay with that? Y'all all right? I always drove me nuts when I would run into some guy who was a pastor and act like he knew it all. Well, I know you don't. Are you God? Here's some bread. 
That was clever. I referenced back to the text. and It's like a Seinfeld episode. I just ring it all around right to here. But I'm praying, so I'm praying. I'm seeking the Lord, and I have found that I put messages together, and I'm like, as soon as I'm done with it, I'm like, I can't wait to preach that. That's going to fire everybody up. They're going to be so encouraged. And then as I pray, Lord, give the Holy Spirit. I get and I preach, and as I'm preaching, all of a sudden I realize this ain't encouraging at all. This is convicting as all get out, and it is a much heavier message than I thought that it was going to be. What happened? Holy Spirit. And then there are times I'm like, good night, Lord, you sure you want me to preach that? That's a heavy one right there. And Lord, I'll tell you what, just give the Holy Spirit. And then I'll preach it, and everybody's all encouraged. Did God answer the prayer? Sure did. How? Holy Spirit. And here's the deal. We're praying, God, and this is what I'm praying. God, uh, refresh my soul. Send revival right down here into my heart. How's he answer that? Holy Spirit. God, I pray you would bring awakening to our communities. How's he answer that? Holy Spirit. (laughs) If we desire for God to move, we've got to ask him to. And then when somebody visits the church and they're like, well, what in the world's going on around here? Why is there so much happening? What is going on? God is moving. Why is he moving? Because we asked him to. That's why so many churches just rolling around looking at each other. They ain't asking God to do anything. And Jesus is like, go to your father, ask, seek, and knock. <laughs> he will answer. That ought to change how we pray. Y'all with me, church? Let's bow together. Father, in Jesus' name.